0: 640 Toronto presents Think Tank, two guests, Toronto's top stories. Now, let's meet the guests. That guy keeps it simple. He kind of just, yeah, really, there's not a lot to it. It it just keeps it all on track. Um, Let's meet our guests for Think Tank this morning. We run it all the way through commercial-free up until uh, 8 o'clock. Steve Pakin, author and broadcaster. Not not really more one than the other, really. (laughs) What? Unless there's something I don't know. Good morning. <laughs> That's just the oddest introduction I've had in quite some time. Good morning, Greg. Okay. Not that really more other. one than the other. They're b- b- both important. Both important. We need words, we need uh, we need uh, visual images. Okay, of, the, of, say so. of words. <laughs> it's like I'm going to challenge you harder than that in about 2 minutes from now on on <laughs> uh, on that front. And Janella Massa is back with us. Broadcaster, soon to be author. You ever think about writing a book?
1: I certainly have uh, lots to put in it. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> and you're a TMU professor. I toured TMU. I know. I know you and Steve think I should go back to school and learn a few things. But but I toured TMU with my uh, my wife and uh, my uh, soon to be 18 year old son on Friday. We had a good time. It was kind of open uh, open season to visit you know different faculties and whatnot. I loved what I saw. I never really went to school in that downtown environment. I loved it.
1: You loved it. I mean, if you're next to Young and Dundas Square, sometimes it's a little <laughs> a little scary there.
0: it it is um yeah we didn't we didn't think that classes were going to set up quite right there but uh but but wait listen we've been on the mayor every time the mayor's been on we're like tidy that up a little bit we got kids going there and we want professors like you you mentioned that earlier we want you to be safe going from point a to b as well
1: yeah i do love teaching though um it's uh, it's been a great experience so is he going to do journalism
0: uh no, we've we've absolutely you're both laughing. We both warned him. Uh cuz my wife's a writer and I'm a broadcaster and we we said, "Can you go into a growth industry? Something that <laughs> might thrive over the next couple decades so we could uh, enjoy our golden years?" And you're not living that's what in I call good parenting. Thank you. Exactly, exactly That's
1: great. That. Right. I always say should have been a dentist.
0: Oh, that's good work. That's good getting into people's teeth. And by the way, dentists they constantly want to You can get an appointment with a dentist any time you say I need an appointment I need a cleaning they're like what time do you get here because uh you they're pay them directly you. they're
1: calling you every six months
0: they sure are I get an email blast every week from my dentist <laughs> yeah. who wants to see uh, more. my of
1: office me. is on the text messages <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right I want to play this John Kirby clip and see what you guys think of it and and I I want to play it more because I think it's clarifying I was just saying earlier how I think incumbents and politicians. They sign up to handle anything, anytime, But many of them, I think we could agree, regardless of side, ideology, perspective, many of them have just been not ready to, uh, to handle public comment on how things have, have shifted over the last seven weeks. So here's a political figure, assistant to the defense secretary. He can make everybody happy, um, but he weighs in on this. Here's what we saw yesterday from John Kirby on the term genocide. What Hamas wants, make no mistake about it is genocide. They want to wipe Israel off the map. They've said so, publicly, more than one occasion. In fact, just recently. And they've said that they're not going to stop. What happened on the 7th of October is going to happen again and again and again. And what happened on the 7th of October? Murder, slaughter of innocent people in their homes or at a music festival. That's genocidal intentions. Yes, there are too many civilian casualties in Gaza. Yes, the numbers are too high. Yes, too many families are grieving. And yes, we continue to urge the Israelis to be as careful and cautious as possible. That's not gonna stop from the president right on down. But Israel is not trying to wipe the Palestinian people off the map. Israel's not trying to wipe Gaza off the map. Israel's trying to defend itself against a genocidal terrorist threat. I understand the argument that it's there uh, when I was in school, university, when uh, the Rwanda genocide was happening and the war in the Balkans was happening. Janelle, I want, what do you think of Kirby's comment, at least that he said, hey, here's how I view it. There's no room for misunderstanding, unlike you know, the prime minister last week mentioning, quote, maximum restraint. And we're six days in and we've never really got better a definition of what that actually means.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think why people have a hard time and, and, you know, we're talking about UN experts who are saying, let's look at the definition of genocide, Okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, It pretty much meets all of the criteria, except for the one question mark is intention. And to me, you know, senior Israeli officials have made their intentions very clear. You have defense ministers, advisors saying Israel needs to create a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. So it's a place where no human being can exist. You have a defense minister calling Palestinians human animals, saying we'll eliminate everything and it won't go back to what it was before. You have the president, Israeli president, suggesting uh, that civilians in Gaza are not innocent, that basically they're legitimate targets. And mind you, we're talking about a population that's 50 percent children. Uh, You have Netanyahu referring to Gaza as Amalek, which if if you read uh, in their Holy Bible, that's calling for the killing of their men, their women, their children, their animals. If Knesset members calling for Gaza to be erased off the face of the earth, some saying nuking is an option. Look, Israel has dropped 18,000 tons of bombs on Gaza in six weeks. That's one and a half times what was dropped on Hiroshima. What's the intention behind that kind of force? What I hear Kirby saying is, oh, Hamas wants a genocide. So in order to prevent that genocide, it's appropriate for Israel to respond with a genocide. And that, like, that's absurd to me. And, and we have to remember that you know one has a mightier force and ability to carry out Uh, uh, You know, this kind of heavy attack, it's telling to me of whose lives are valued and who continue to be dehumanized and shrugged off as collateral damage.
0: Steve, the term itself um, is is obviously I I do think it's and and again, Janella makes it and backs up her statement with data facts. But the term is really being uh, weaponized considerably. So the last seven weeks, is it not? Uh
2: Yes, uh, and and one of the difficulties I have with the way that the term is being used uh, willy-nilly these days, and I'm not saying Janella is, I'm mm-hmm. merely making the point that a lot of people are are using it without care, is that um there actually is a fact-based definition of what it means. Uh, I think uh, I was looking at some of the population numbers the other day. If you go back to the founding of the state of Israel and what could have been a Palestinian state back in the 1940s, uh, when the United Nations created the partition plan. There were a half a million Palestinian Arabs living in the area. There are five million today. If you go back to the 1930s in Eastern Europe, there were nine and a half million Jews living in that area. There are one and a half million today. Uh, The latter certainly sounds like a genocide to me. The former, where your population increases by tenfold, uh, does not suggest a genocide to me. I'm not making Mm -hmm. any comment about the about what's going on in Gaza right now uh, honorable people will disagree on those things Yeah, but i think facts are friendly and i just wanted to introduce some facts to
0: this discussion yeah janello do you look at the term do you think it's it's being utilized um as as steve said willy nilly
1: i think the problem is often when we talk about genocide it's in hindsight right we go back and we say oh yeah what happened was genocide and you know we have we have uh, the ability to 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 look at everything and lay it out here we're trying to say this is the path that we're on let's prevent it let's not come back and say ooh yeah now that we come back and we look at ha- what happened here yeah this this was this was this was a genocide and this is yeah. what UN experts are calling they're saying we are standing by and allowing this uh to head in that direction and and we have an ability to prevent it and to stop it and you know Kirby's saying you know uh, we've urged Israel to, to be careful and and cautious you know that's only been their response. In the recent uh, uh, few weeks, uh, you know, when this all started, Biden made it pretty clear that Netanyahu pretty much had free reign to do what he wanted. And and that's why it feels like this has been hard to to pull back. I mean, to me, I hardly think bombing uh, refugee camps and targeting hospitals, which they have been openly admitted to um, as being careful or cautious. I mean, what are we at? Eleven thousand in six weeks. Uh, It's just uh, it's clear the path that we're on. But
0: I'd make the case. And I think we all all three would agree in this. Those are Hamas Provided numbers it doesn't mean that there haven't been more palestinians killed but hamas is giving us those to hear numbers.
1: exactly how many hamas members have been killed in this seven week or six weeks or whatever and and you know in all the, the tons of bombs that have been dropped in all the places that have been completely decimated what's uh you know how successful have they been in in wiping out hamas i'm still waiting to hear well that
0: hamas number. says no terrorists have been killed so that that tells a lot of people whether or not they can trust their numbers to some extent
1: I, i'm curious to hear from from israel if if all of this yeah. this essential flattening of gaza you know has it has the me- ends justified the means
2: yeah greg let me jump in on that if i can because uh, the united nations has said that even though those numbers come from the gaza ministry of health that that they are reliable and they have uh they have high confidence in those numbers so i put that out there for what that's worth the other thing is, I, I think, and obviously, the three of us have had numerous conversations with with numerous people from numerous communities about this yeah. uh, since it broke on the seventh of October, and, and I, uh, you know, I'll simply put this on: when I have talked to Jewish friends of mine, when they hear the expression "from the river to the sea," which is a pretty clear clarion call for uh, Hamas to take over an area currently occupied by Israeli Jews, that to them sounds like a call for genocide. It sounds like echoes of 1930s Germany, where you have Adolf Hitler talking about the need for Lebensraum. We need more room for our people to live, and therefore we're going to round up Jews and get rid of them. And when you hear from the river mm. to the sea, it, it is, I'm just telling you what people in, in many Jewish communities have told me, they hear echoes of the same thing. They hear echoes of mm. There are too many Jews here. We need to get the Jews out of here because we want the land from the river, the Jordan River, to the sea, the Mediterranean. Um, I put that out there for what it's worth. I, I, I want to keep yeah, – Steve,
1: I, I'm going to jump in there because I you know, know that you're be a guy quick, who to you, say, you, you can. back. Uh, And, you know, when we talk about from the river to the sea, it's interesting what the interpretation is based on who says who says it, you know, the leading party Netanyahu's party has a very similar phrasing in in their uh, uh, party uh, uh, platform, Um, you know, and for I think for folks who have been chanting it at uh, protests and rallies that I've been hearing for decades, really, and it's only recently that I've heard this this assertion being made. To me, and from folks who who I hear using it, they see it as a call for liberation, for freedom from oppression. When you talk about uh, what numerous human rights groups have called an apartheid system that they are living under, uh, you know, with a, a restriction of freedom of movement, with uh, you know uh, the Israeli government having control over uh, their their water, their infrastructure. You know, when they say they want uh, Palestine to be free from the river to the sea, to me, that's a call for Palestinian uh, uh, freedom from oppression. So I think we have to be conscious about what the context is and who's using it and the intent.
0: People aren't going to agree on the chant. I think like we agree that people aren't going to agree on the chant. All three, (laughs) all three of us can can go there with that. Um, Let's go to Mississauga because I know we want to talk about it. Actually, this happened in Hamilton, Uh, Mississauga mayor, Bonnie Crombie, attended a mosque in Hamilton on the weekend. Um, Video audio came out yesterday of exchanges of Crombie there. It, to me, didn't look productive, wasn't thoughtful, wasn't a civilized exchange. Some people felt bad for her, but there's a thought that politicians going into religious houses of worship or on special holidays, there's sometimes, not all the time, a pushback, and this is what that is. I, I don't think it excuses incivility. Again, smart people, you just said it, Steve, honorable people can have considerable disagreement, but I want to know your thoughts, Steve. I'll start with you on, on what you saw uh, with Mayor Crombie in that mosque.
2: Her. I just took a look at the video again this morning before coming on. And, and this is a classic no-win situation, I'm afraid, Greg. I mean, before the mm-hmm. 7th of October, I'm sure Mayor Crombie, being the mayor of Mississauga and with a significant Muslim population in Mississauga, would have visited myriad mosques and would have had no difficulty in any of them, would have been welcomed, would have made statements, would have given speeches. None of it would have been controversial. It's now a classic no-win situation. She cannot... She cannot meet the test uh, that some people in the audience will force her to say. They wanted to, her to be uh, extremely explicit in supporting uh, their position on what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, I saw her trying to find the right words in order to, to, to you know, to walk the line, to make a, a balanced statement about what was being said. Yeah. Uh, she, she wanted to be able to say uh, th- that the uh, terrorist attacks on the 7th of October were completely unacceptable, while at the same time, uh saying that israel's response is disproportionate and unacceptable and you know the audience obviously only wanted to hear the last part they weren't interested in the former part and this is the difficulty i i, I don't know what you do right now if you're a political if you're a politician uh, maybe you just have to avoid these places right now but on the other hand you're going to get criticized for for failing to show up so no win situation
0: what did you see janelle
1: yeah I mean here's the thing as you said uh, politicians have been welcomed into mosques uh, you know to, uh, all the time but f- right now you know for politicians what's happening overseas is just that it's politics but for the people who are directly connected it they're extremely traumatized there are people here in ontario who've lost 50 80 100 family members in a month and a half and so for them it's not just what they're seeing in the headlines it's not what they're hearing in the news you know they've got People sending them videos and voice notes on WhatsApp. They're seeing kids with limbs blown off. They're hearing, you know, people crying for for food and for water. And you know, I heard a woman tell me she stopped, or on the radio rather, she she says she stopped calling home. She stopped calling because it just became too hard to hear every time that someone else had died or what the situation was. And so, you know, you are living through immense heartache day in and day out. You can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't think about anything else except for your family back home. And then you walk into the place that's supposed to be your place of worship, your place of solace, where you're going to turn to God in prayer, because right now that's the only thing that you can hold on to. And you walk in to find a politician who's there to shake hands and kiss babies and isn't going to say anything meaningful to you. So, you know, I understand the outrage. And I feel for Crombie, you know, because it's not... She doesn't really have a whole lot of power. She's, you know, she's a municipal politician. She's running for a provincial leadership. But I think in that moment, she was the stand-in for the politician that people feel have, um, you know, done nothing or they feel that have, yeah. have you know, allowed this to go on. And so, yeah, I don't know what she was expecting when she walked in there. I mean, I, I don't think she was prepared for that kind of response, probably because she has been welcomed so often in these spaces. But, uh, you know, I think politicians... Uh, should be watching and taking notes you can't use these communities yeah. for your photo ops when they've been be- calling begging for something to be done to i somebody. want to
0: hold it there and, and stick with you janela and that like if you were an advisor do you think we can get to an era where it, it just does and i'm not pushing this on bonnie Crombie because ev- every one of those four liberal candidates has done it A- around election time it happens all the time i i just I-, I wish we could get past pandering and have proper conversations um but but not the people are are not ready to feel exploited they're not ready to feel used in this process i don't know if you'd advise yeah. a politician say can we just just have a town hall but don't go exactly. into where people are praying and this is not just mosques synagogues catholic churches it just feels like you got to cover all the bases and i, I don't think that's yeah. what politics is supposed to be even
1: i think you you touched it the point there which is which is yeah meet with the community but don't do it in the sacred spaces especially not on this issue where people are so so hurting mm-hmm. um and you know that that you know you're the one thing they want to hear you say is ceasefire. That's the one thing everyone is calling for. If you're not ready to say those words, well, then be ready for the response and don't do it in the mosque.
0: Not well, but not everyone is calling for it. I think we're, we're well, getting, this
1: is my point. I mean, yeah. in, the, in the mosque community, right? Like, that's what they were calling. They're like, we just want to hear you say and call for it.
0: Yeah. Well, like, I, Steve, I saw this happen in the legislature in Saskatchewan yesterday. And I'm thinking that'll turn things in the Middle East. What Saskatchewan's provincial legislature decides to determine something as. I mean it's it's not gonna it's not gonna matter a hill of beans seven thousand miles away.
2: No, it won't seven thousand miles away, but we are living in a time when people want to see political leaders take a stand one way or another. And politicians are often accused of not going to where the public is in making those stands, and where the public is at the moment, if you're talking in some cases the Muslim population of Hamilton. As uh, the Crombie campaign was dealing with yesterday, Mm -hmm. uh, the the Muslim population can be found uh, on many occasions inside a mosque. Uh, She will get criticized for avoiding mosques. Uh, Politicians uh, of all stripes will get criticized for failing to show up and failing to uh, make their voices heard if they don't show up. So that's why I call it a no-win situation. You show up and you say the wrong thing, you're going to get criticized. You don't show up, you're going to get criticized.
0: Um, You both have super sharp political minds, so let me pick it on what advice you'd give the Ontario Liberal Party. This is what I see, so tell me if I'm right or wrong been a good race there's energy for the party hasn't been there in the last several years kathleen Wynn knows what's coming in 2018 she stays as leader and they get socked as well a year and a half ago my advice to whoever wins bonnie nate yasser whomever bring everyone you can into the tent make it work shake this off you got to be barack obama bringing in hillary clinton as your secretary of state steve do you think that's good advice and is that possible for this party Uh, Yes and yes.
2: Uh, This is a very successful, actually. After two awful, soul-destroying elections, uh, this is a political party which now feels it has some wind in its sails. And uh, this is not just sort of an airy-fairy observation. You look for empirically provable facts here, and the empirically provable facts are this is a party with more than 100,000 members signed up uh, for this leadership election. Uh, That's a very big number. Uh, I think when Doug Ford was... um, uh, winning the progressive conservative uh, race in, back in 2018. They didn't sign up nearly that number. So this is a good number. They're, I mean, they're not all going to vote, obviously, but that's a good number. They've raised a lot of money. Um, they've got four very solid candidates in the race. I think there are no crank candidates, quote, unquote, as we often see in leadership contests uh, in the past where somebody throws their name in there just for the hell of it but has no hope of doing anything. You've got four credible candidates. So, yeah, you've got to make a bigger tent. you got to show up. Uh, you got you got to keep um, putting uh, the premier's uh, feet to the fire. That is their job as one of the opposition parties. So so far, so good.
0: Next time we're, all three of us are on together, all three of us will just for 25 minutes straight identify crank candidates from past elections. That's oh, going to be happy to in happy alphabetical to. order. No, in, in height. No, not wait, height. We'll just do it by uh, tall, tall to short. Janelle, what do you think? Can the Liberal Party pull this off and bring everybody under that same tent in these contentious times?
1: I certainly think they have an opportunity uh, to turn things around after the, the dismal showing. Uh, you know, the Ford government has had scandal after scandal. So uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, Steve's right that, you know, whoever we end up with as leader and, and you know, it looks like, you know, Crombie's got uh, a good hold on that frontrunner position. But all those all of those uh, uh, candidates are, are formidable. And uh, and I think that, you know. The party's in good hands uh, uh, under any of them. So I do think that there is an opportunity for them to turn it around with a focus, I think, on affordability. That is the big question mark, as you say, Mm. bringing in as many people as possible by finding that common denominator. I think that'll be the key.
0: Got a few minutes here. I want to jump ahead to the X platform uh, and and wrap it here because we got about two and a half minutes, a lot swirling around the platform. I've watched this for a long time since Elon Musk bought it, Janela. If it's so toxic, why won't people leave it? Now, all of us in our business, probably you to teach broadcast, whatever. It's it's essential to get sound clips. So you're not going through hours and hours of broadcast, et cetera. So I don't know why someone in the news media journalism business would be on it terribly often. But how do you view where it's at as a communication tool right now?
1: I'm exactly that person that you're talking about because I have vowed to quit Twitter I don't know how <laughs> many times and, and for whatever reason I'm still you know uh uh on there I think as you say you know it's a place where um I I'm able to kind of get a lot of news especially now that Meta has uh you know removed the ability to, to post news on Twitter and uh, sorry on Instagram and, and Facebook but at the same time you know I'm active on lots of different social media platforms and I can post the same content on TikTok Instagram Facebook Twitter without fail the reaction on Twitter is always the most negative. It's always the lowest of the low. No one wants to give you the benefit of the doubt. It's not a place for productive conversation. And yet I can't get away. I just can't get away. <laughs> there from there it. must
0: be programs um, somewhere. Medication <laughs> programs, uh yeah, I massages. I a support group. <laughs> Steve, how do you view it? Oh, it's like the bad girlfriend. I can't
2: quit Oh too. my I goodness. Shots yeah, fired to
0: the ex girlfriends of Steve Bacon. Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah. No, it's it's you know, I love the idea of X. I love and I think we I think Janelle and I and so many other people we we love the idea of a yeah. public town square online where people can meet and have vigorous, engaging conversations. But sadly, and it's worse under Musk, mm. sadly, Twitter has become a toxic lake of crap in which you can't dip your toe in without somehow just being, you know, needing to rush to the shower to take a shower after it's over. It's become so disgraceful. Uh, I, I try to still find the good parts of X and, and engage with those. Uh, I don't block anybody but I'm just trying to avoid. I'm trying to avoid uh, all the crap and just sort of engage in what's still potentially good about it. Really quick.
0: I'm I,
1: the opposite. I finally uh, started blocking and I've never felt more peaceful.
0: Janelle's on a blocking, uh, Steve, look out. Uh, she's on a blocking. The one thing I'd say is I, I started to hate it during COVID maybe because we were locked up a spending too much time on it. And B you'd be like, Hey, why can't my kid? You want people to die? You want grandpa, you want to kill grandpa? It was like that. And that was you way before I Elon like Musk. Cats. No,
1: <laughs> they'll say, Oh, you hate dogs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I got a blast. Love you both. Thanks so much for the time this morning. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Janella. Good talking to you. Janella Massa, Steve Pakin.